How do we make and multiply disciples around the block and around the world? With hosts Doug Lucas of Team Expansion, Lee Wood of One Body Church, John Hirima of Big Life, Roger Shull of E3 Partners, and special guests from around the world, we'll explore how believers can come together to make more disciples. Welcome to the More Disciples Podcast. All right, we're here with another episode of the More Disciples Podcast. I am Roger Scholl, one of the hosts here, along with Doug Lucas. Good morning. And Lee Wood. Hey, everybody. And uh, today, our guest is Zach Medlock, which I, who I've, I've met uh, a few times over the last uh, several years, just kind of working together in the Just No Place Left Coalition, kind of uh, across the United States. And so, you know, whenever there's kind of some big meetings where we have a bunch of leaders getting together, I've, I've uh, been able to see Zach and even called him a, a few weeks ago just to kind of learn from him. So I'm really excited that he's on the podcast today. And one thing that's always impressed me about Zach is uh, just his consistency and faithfulness to Jesus and to the work of trying to make disciples who can make disciples. Because I know in myself, I've seen a tendency to do this. And I've seen in other people too, of going and trying to make disciples in an area or pursuing a certain vision that God has, has called me to. And then when things get tough or maybe something else pops up, like I just jump over to the next exciting thing. So it's been something that I've had to learn just to kind of be faithful where we're at. And I really noticed that with with Zach just uh, over the years, just him always communicating the same vision that God has placed into him. Uh, of, uh, at one point it was reaching Memphis until he's going to share his story, but he got to the point where he he could hand off the leadership so it could keep on going in a healthy way. And keep on multiplying, and 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 hopped over to into San Francisco. And even on our call a few weeks ago, he was sharing how, like years ago, he just had a got the vision to to reach major metropolitan areas along with uh, several other brothers and sisters in Christ, major major metropolitan areas um, in the United States and beyond. And so he hopped over to San Francisco, where which is where he's at now, and been uh, been there for for just a short little while. So anyways, that's just always what's been impressive to me about Zach is his faithfulness to pursue the vision that God has uh, called him to. So, so yeah, Zach, maybe you could uh, give us a little rundown about yourself. Like, just tell us who you are, just how you got started in movements and what you're doing now. Who am I? How I got started? What am I doing now? Um, so, hey, yeah, uh, born and raised in the Memphis metro area and grew up right actually right south of memphis and yeah so moved to memphis in 2012 i believe uh long story short got in uh called me out of north north mississippi from a legacy church that i was working with um to move to the center of memphis to pursue no place left memphis metro area and ended up teaming up with a guy named ron surgeon who's a, still a close friend and uh, he was my first co-laborer uh, in Memphis, pursuing this crazy vision that God had put on our, on our hearts. And I got married a couple of years after that. I've been married for six years to Callie, and I uh, have a little uh, two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, Remy. And uh, Callie's off to work today. She's a labor and delivery nurse at Stanford, and she loves her job and leverages that to make disciples. Really proud of her. And and what she does at the hospital. Yeah, man, I'm just uh, out here in San Francisco now. Moved here about uh, nine, ten months ago to really uh, continue to build on the foundation that is here and pursue a global vision of seeing uh, the Bay become a 
a global mission mm-hmm. force and want to see movements started in the top 50 metro areas of each continent. So that's, that's a little bit <laughs> of everything. Yeah, that's there. awesome. So a um, couple of things there that, that I'll point out, and I have a question is, um, so um, I love <laughs> that Cali moved to Cali. So that's good <laughs> with Zach. So, um, but the thread that we keep repeating is like, you see that obedience from the church of twos that's in their home. It's where they're at. And they had both a growing and a going strategy. So um, it's kind of cool. Like we had Dory on the podcast before, but they're connecting, communicating, collaborating. And they we were connected relationally um, when Zach was still in Memphis. And so that relational before organizational piece and that growing and going strategy um, from, because I think Zach probably in the United States, probably 80% of population is in those, um, is in at the city level. So I guess my question to you, because I had the same level of respect. I didn't know anybody in the States that, um, that were sort of doing like the same thing, both those ways, growing and going in Tampa. And then I heard about you and I was like, wow, that's cool because you get that you got to have stuff that's actually proclaimed invisible in fields three and four and five. Can you speak to some of that about that it needs to be sort of substance, have something substantive at that city level and that you're not limited? You can work on still doing all that stuff there in all the fields, okay, but that you can have a growing strategy and a going strategy because I think you're actually modeling that. Like you did that in Memphis. You sunk down some roots. There's stability. There's disciples. There's home churches aspects of community transformation um, that's occurring. And now you're going to California, to Cali, to do the same thing from your home there. Can you speak about both those a little bit? There's a question inside there. I know you speak, Lee, um, about having both a growing and a going strategy and that being able to be not just a national, but a global strategy as well that you, that you just talked about a little bit in introducing yourself. Yeah, I think I understand your question. I'll try to answer. There you go. If you can't, um, Doug will interpret me, after you're over. <laughs> yeah, let let me know if uh, if I'm not getting it. But man, you know, before I was trained, so I went to a training, um, first training on making disciples or sharing the gospel or anything I've ever been to was January of 2012. This January uh, next month will be. Uh, 10 years uh, since being and you trained. You're here in three months before me. Way to go. <laughs> and uh, man, before then, about two years, God had had put on my heart to learn how to make disciples. I was a youth evangelist and traveling across North America preaching. And uh, the Lord said, you can't make disciples on a stage uh, traveling, traveling from place to place. And he called me to come home and get a normal average job and live a quiet life and learn how to make disciples. So that's what I did. And all I knew no one around me that was making disciples from what I saw in scripture. And so I literally just highlighted everything Jesus did with his disciples. And I went to my home church, 
uh, Longview Heights Baptist Church in North Mississippi and grabbed a couple of college guys and started to disciple them and literally do everything I saw Jesus do with his disciples. That's what I tried to do. And so the Lord, by his grace, just kept pushing me towards his word for strategy. And um, so I feel like the strategy today, 12 years later, is the same thing. You know, you see that growing and going strategy in Jesus's ministry, in his life. Uh, You see that in Paul's ministry. And the fact is, is everywhere they go, they establish, or uh, I I heard you use a a cool phrase earlier, something like connect something. But yeah, they connect, they engage, they establish, uh, but then they move on. Uh, but the hopes is whatever, wherever they have gone, that they leave something behind that would multiply. And so like that's been one of our big, I guess, phrases or encouragements when people, when apostolic leaders start asking, you know, Zach, I'm thinking about going here. I'm thinking about going there. I asked them, well, what have you left behind that will continue? You know, what, what's going to keep growing? Have you built something that has a, founda- a foundation strong enough to keep going, whether that's a, a leader or a church uh, or a movement? So, yeah, I mean, we felt like we laid a foundation across Memphis uh, for no place left and saw a network of house churches and leaders that were really owning the core missionary task amongst uh, several different places and people groups. And so uh, it was time to move on. And the Lord made that very clear to us. And the calling started in at the end of 2019. You know, Zach, as we've uh, talked with people around the country and around the world, it's repeatedly come to our minds that folks have talked about things that are very simple. I mean, you you talk about this as if it's just being something, you know, and not so much doing something, not so much doing a program, but for the sake of a listener or a viewer who might be out there wondering, okay, I'm reading my Bible, but what do I do next? Could you try to break this down into some kind of component that helps a person that's listening? If I want to multiply disciples the way Jesus did, if I want to do this in the no place left way, if I want to be a Bible believer who's multiplying disciples, what do I have to do next? I, I know that I have to be a disciple myself, but now what do I do? What would you tell them? That's a great question. I would probably uh, encourage them to start with prayer Good. and asking what does God want them to do? Uh, not everybody has to do what Zach does, uh, and I don't have to do what other people do. Uh, I need to be faithful to what God's calling me to do. And that starts with asking God, what does he want? What's his will? Uh, how has he shaped me and molded me, gifted me to, to serve him? Uh, I would encourage them to go to the scriptures and find what is what are Jesus's patterns, what are Paul's patterns of ministry. A lot of us are familiar with four fields. When it comes to making disciples, I would start to steer someone towards who are people that you can engage with. You've got to connect with people. Uh, the lost and the saved. Starting from Inkai back back in the day when T for T was the rage, man, I still today live with this dichotomy of there's only two types of people in this world. There's lost and safe. And with the lost person, you share gospel, not gospel, but gospel. You share the gospel. That's what Inkai says. And then with the saved person, you train them, right? You 
equipped him. And that's that's what I would encourage anyone to, to think and to live is to uh, engage them and then share with them. For the saved, we say the vision seed is what needs to be casted. And for the lost, it's the gospel seed that needs to be casted. And then equip them, uh, disciple them, gather them into churches and appoint elders and do it all over again. <laughs> if that's what God, if that's what God's called yeah. you to do. Yeah, I, I love that to define four fields. You just did for our listeners. But yeah, it's that field one is that connecting with, with lost people or even uh, like you said, like, you know, you could even think going to the save people. And then two, field two is gospel sharing. And when people believe in the message, field three would be discipleship and field four would be forming churches that can grow healthily and just being driven by good leadership development. Um, and so that that's just a helpful paradigm that a lot of us think through when thinking about how to multiply disciples in churches. So I'm really happy that you just kind of laid that out um, for people that are uh, getting started new. And I and I know you're saying like, hey, you don't have to do it the Zach Medlock way, you know, if that's if that's or the way that you have done it, um, if that's not what God has called someone to do. Um, but I, I know I'm curious, what did Zach Medlock do or what did God do in Memphis uh, through you and, and Ron and, and other people uh, during that time? Like I'm because I'm curious, you said you got to the point where the, the work could continue without you being there. You know, just bring, walk us through what started to happen. And, 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 you know, that story that leads us up to that point where you're like, man, I, I really can can exit and go to another place. Like what did what did God do when you started to implement what you had been trained in and, and when other people got on board and, and just things like that. Maybe you walk, I would love to hear you walk us through some of that. Yeah, I, I can try to share the story a little bit, but I want to say this first. I don't think that I, I ever was at a place of just absolute confidence that the work would continue, even though that's what I thought that I was supposed to get to was this overwhelming, complete peace and confidence that everything that I had invested the last 10 years of my life into would continue to multiply. And I remember just having that tension and that struggle on when to leave and if things were strong enough, um, if the vision was established enough, if the churches were strong enough, if the leaders were strong enough. And I remember calling Nathan Shank and him just, you know, reminding me that Paul uh, had a holy anxiety even after he left different places. And it seemed like even he uh, questioned whether some of the fruit uh, and leadership and churches that he had started were, were remaining. And when he found out that they were remaining, he was overjoyed. And so in apostolic ministry, uh, I would caution anyone to that feels like they have to get to this place where you are so certain that everything will just continue to to grow and multiply after you leave. And a lot of it is this massive step of faith and trusting God because it's his church, it's his disciples, it's his leaders. And when when he's calling you to move on, he's calling you to move on. I mean, obviously you want to see some sort of foundation laid that you think that will will grow and multiply after you, but that's not always guaranteed. And there's, it's, it's not like this perfect step process. I don't know how to explain it, but the story in Memphis is for the first two years or so, we were only pursuing multiplying disciples to the fourth generation. That was the vision casted to us is let's aim for 4G streams, fourth generation streams of someone who came to Christ, was baptized, led someone else to Christ. 
they were baptized, who led someone else to Christ, that there was baptized who led someone else to Christ, who was baptized. That's four disciples in the same stream, all new baptized disciples. For two years, we ran hard, and Ron and I, and then soon after others, as things began to multiply, uh, were sharing the gospel like madmen, like crazy, going out in the harvest every ounce of time we possibly could and pounding the pavement, uh, as we used to say, we started to see some fruit and we started to see multiplication and you get what you aim for. And we saw multiplying disciples. And when we came together, there was a big gathering of folks that were doing this from across the country in 2013 in Austin, Texas. Uh, at that time, we had seen about 120 baptisms in Memphis and Bill Smith was there and he said, well, guys, in scripture, what do you see after new disciples you see, and we we realize we see churches and you know the paradigm the world that i grew up in you know uh church planning was just it was a whole different ball game a whole different paradigm I, church planning wasn't even on my radar in the first two years i just want to see lostness impacted but it made so much sense to sustain and equip the fruit you have to have churches to sustain and equip the fruit in a biblical way. And so we gathered the first church uh, in the movement uh, in my apartment complex, and it started with eight people. About four of them I had led to Christ, and the rest were pre-existing believers. And um, that was the first church. Uh, Ron eventually started a church, and, and then pretty quickly our vision was not so much just 4G disciples, but to see uh, 4G churches. And again, you get what you aim for. We saw 4G church um, happen within about, I'd say about three years, we saw a stream of 4G church. So there was a season of tremendous uh, multiplication and new church starts. Uh, At one point, at the peak of a lot of the work was in 2017, the end of 2017, we drew out a a generation map and we could count uh, 93 different groups and churches meeting across the city every week. Uh, They were physical, real groups of three to 20 people were meeting uh, all across the city. So that was beautiful and exciting, and it was it was just exhilarating, you know, to to be in the midst of uh, new churches, new baptisms. There was a season where we were seeing someone baptized almost every day, but then we started to see and track sustainability, and we saw a massive sustainability crisis, and couldn't keep up with with all those new churches because we were missing so many pieces. So we shift at the end of 2017 towards this new idea of like, what are we going to do to sustain the fruit? And so 2018, 2019 was major focus on sustainability. When we started to focus on things that sustain churches, uh, less churches were started. We saw a huge drop off. And I would say 90% of those churches ended up just fizzling out within about nine to 12 months. Hmm. Yeah, so we've seen bukus of churches started and bukus of churches not make it. And that was frustrating, but we started to champion things that were lasting. And uh, so we went down to probably about six or seven simple churches meeting in homes and uh, started with that foundation. And we're appointing elders as a new focus. Uh, We really had to understand how to appoint uh, elders I would say that shift has paid off. It's been a blessing. There's strong churches 
there's a church now that's lasted. It's probably going on uh, eight years old there uh, that's still growing and multiplying and appointing elders. It's seen probably eight or nine elders appointed in its lifetime. But there's a, there's way less churches uh, across the city uh, right now. There's probably somewhere between, uh, I haven't been back to Memphis in nine months. Trey would know better, but it's somewhere between uh, nine to 14 churches, somewhere in there. Uh, maybe 15 churches across the city, uh, simple churches that are meeting across the Memphis metro area. And uh, the churches are, they have more people but, uh, as well. They've got some critical mass. But what I started to look for before we left was local ownership that was spread out across the Memphis metro area. And you can go north, south, east, west, uh, in the middle, and find an apostolic leader who's really owning it. They're giving their life to the core missionary task. You're seeing a couple different segments really uh, have some traction uh, with uh, new churches. And then for me, I needed to see at least one person really own the whole metro area as passionately as I did. And I didn't know if that was ever possible. You know, Ron and I, we've always carried this huge, tremendous burden for our city. We were always thinking about the entire metro area, and no one for the longest time was really waking up each day and thinking about every little segment and thinking about the the whole Memphis metro area. I felt like we were. And then the Lord gave us uh, Trey Boggess, and he actually came out of the harvest. Uh, through he was a like a second gen disciple back in 2015 I think or 16 and uh, God has used Trey tremendously he really carries that that burden that vision and so when Trey Trey was coming back from India he was a missionary in India for a year and he said Zach this is what God's called me to do and I was thrilled I knew that that was a, a component that was uh, getting us ready to leave. I guess, Zach, for me, one of the things that I struggle with is this sense of uh, maybe it's from the Judeo-Christian roots, uh, puritanical roots, some kind of like a mentality that I'm supposed to be um, doing things. How do you wrestle with that personally? Do you have maybe you're supported through the work of some kind of mission org or people send in donations and, and you think you have to do something to justify that? What do you do to wrestle with that feeling? Man, I... What do I do to wrestle with that feeling? That's a good question. I just keep going back to what has God called me to do and uh, to re- remain faithful to what he's calling you to do and to stay in your lane and not compare yourself to other people. Uh, that was something early on that was, man, Satan was trying to wipe us clean by attacking our identity, attacking uh, us and uh, by getting us to compare, you know, it's what the disciples did. If they did it, if they struggled with that, then why wouldn't we struggle True. with it? And we did. True. And so, uh, but man, we just want to keep our head down and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you call me to do? And so I don't answer to an org. I don't answer to anyone but the Lord <laughs> uh, in this work. Good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm really curious just with leaving Memphis now and heading to San Francisco. First off, just wondering how did God lead you there? And now are you basically just doing the same things you did in Memphis when you're there? Like what's, what's ministry looking like now that you're in San Francisco? So, um, 
Um, I went on a retreat with my mentor, Jeff and Angie Sundell, at the end of 2019. We try to get away together for about a week each year. And uh, that was a, a really sweet time. And uh, Callie and I were driving home at the end of 2019, and we just had this overwhelming sense that the Lord was saying that 2020 was our last year. And if we felt like God was giving us a whole year to exit, what a year 2020 was. <laughs> None of us were expecting 2020 to be like it was. Uh, but he, he used it and still using it for his purposes. So we started to only focus on uh, leaders we already had. We Our focus was going deep and not wide. So uh, tons of relational time, tons of time in leaders' living rooms and out in the harvest with them and visiting their churches across the city. Uh, we began to pray and fast once a week. We were praying every week, Lord, where do we go? In uh, the vision that God had put in my heart uh, in 2019 was this global vision of seeing a multiplying church that was owning uh, no place left across their metro area like we were. Uh, in the top 50 metro areas of each continent, a very simple geographical approach or vision. And that was it. It was clear as day. And so we began to pray, Lord, where's the most strategic city on the planet for us to pursue what we call a 300 hub vision, uh, 300 hub cities vision. And we looked I mean, we literally looked at, a, looked at a globe and said, Lord, where is it? Like, where is the city? And we considered everywhere from Delhi to London to New York City. And the, the world was a blank slate. And we said, Lord, we are open to going anywhere. And so we prayed, we prayed, we prayed. But there was an Ephesus always uh, ringing in our ears. And that was the San Francisco Bay Area. And we call it our Ephesus because seven years ago, I was invited out there to do a training, a four fields training. Uh, Jared Halk and I were doing a training there, and this man approached us uh, at the training and said, Hey, my name is Brett. My wife's Patty, and we're from Kentucky. We're here to plant a church, and we have no clue what we're doing. Uh, I love the vision being casted, and I just want to learn more. And so he followed us to our hotel that night. We stayed up super late. I started to invest in this man and flew to the San Francisco area about every four months. I did that for seven years, investing in Brett and Patty. And they had a vision to see No Place Left Bay Area. I ended up meeting Dory. Dory came to one of those trainings. She also had this tremendous apostolic zeal and vision to multiply disciples and churches. And there's just been a, a work that's been started in the San Francisco Bay Area. But it reminds me so much of Ephesus. When Paul on his second journey was coming back, and he stops briefly in Ephesus. And there's some work already started there. And they ask him to stay. They want him to stay. And every time I went to San Francisco, I was asked to stay. They were like, man, <laughs> would you move out here? And I was like, ah, if the Lord wills, I will return. And that's what Paul said. And Ephesus was uh, a very wealthy, global, pagan, sexually immoral city that many people traveled to for vacation. Uh, it was one of the most influential cities in its, in its region. It had one of the seven wonders of the world. What city sounds like that to you? <laughs> That's the San Francisco Bay Area. It's a West Coast city. It's a port city. I mean, there's so many parallels from Ephesus to San Francisco. 
I was actually just in Ephesus two weeks ago. I got to be and walk uh, the streets of Ephesus, and uh, it's incredible the parallels. And long story short, God made it clear you're to move there. We fasted and prayed and we said, Lord, you know how expensive it is to live in San Francisco? Like, it's insane. It's one of the highest rents in the world, definitely the highest in the country. My support was only about 3100 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's like pocket change in the Bay Area. So two weeks after we had fasted, we got a call from a friend of ours who lived there and said, hey, we feel like God's uh, telling us to let you have our house and you can pay whatever you want for wow. rent. Uh, a four bedroom house in the Bay Area. And we were just absolutely blown away. And uh, the Lord was just uh, making it uh, loud and clear. We were supposed to see the San Francisco Bay Area as our base or hub to reach the world. Uh, it's a really strategic city. We we were looking at uh, cities that had major uh, important airports. We were looking at flight patterns, honestly, was a big one because I travel a lot. Uh, you have just a great place uh, to reach the globe from. I can fly from here to Delhi on one flight with no co- connecting flights in 16 hours. So I can uh, hop on a plane and wake up in Delhi. Flights are really cheap out of, out of the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. We have three international airports that are all within a 30-minute drive of me. And uh, there's 100 languages spoken here. Depending on how you chop it up, the Bay Area is the most diverse metro area in the United States. And we have seen that firsthand. We live in a neighborhood, and uh, I'm not kidding. We've probably met people from at least 14 or 15 different uh, countries in our neighborhood just while living here. I mean, it's, it's incredibly diverse. And we, we also wanted to be in a place that was lost. It's 5% evangelical. The lostness is here. And so it's an exciting place, uh, we think, to reach the, the globe. And I'll say one other thing about San Francisco. Forbes magazine said it was the most influential city on the planet. And the reason why is because the technology and the uh, the social influences that have their hands, even in villages in the middle of Indonesia, uh, comes from right here in the Bay Area. You have Apple, you have Facebook, you've got Twitter and Dropbox and Salesforce and Instagram and all these technology hubs that are influencing people across the globe. And so it was an exciting place to be, uh, to think about serving. So we jumped in here and it's been, we've been here for 10 months. I guess, uh, Zach, as I think about your life, it's kind of been this odyssey. It's been this journey. Uh, as you look back, could you tell us maybe one story about a changed life that you've seen, maybe zero in on one person and feel free to use a pseudonym for that person's name if you'd rather protect his or her identity. Man, there's been hundreds of changed lives. I'm not trying to think of one to pick. Well, that's that's uh, good to hear that the Lord is at work. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, he's definitely at work, man. Um, man, there's a, there's a guy I'm connected to. His name is, his name is Willie. And I love this brother so much. Um, uh, I, I might get emotional talking about him. I love him so much. But um, the last church I planted in Memphis was in a youth prison. There was some older guys that were going there on Tuesdays to lead a Bible study. And they came to a training I was doing. They said, Zach, we have no clue what we're doing. We're translating Adrian Rogers' sermons into their culture the best we can. And we're just sharing these Adrian Rogers sermons on Tuesday nights. Do you have any other idea of something we could do? And I said, well, I'd love to come visit. And I went in the 
youth prison. It's 120 uh, inmates. They're the most serious criminals in the state of Tennessee that are between ages of 15 and 19. And uh, murderers, rapists, drug dealers, like um, auto theft, probably 85% of it was gang-related. The hunger there was, was, was huge for the gospel. And I went and watched these old old guys lead their thing, and they just were there just showing up, being faithful. And I loved that. And they were teachable and said, you know, we're all ears. And I cast a vision of, hey, guys, what if we what if we tried to, to make disciples and even see a church started here? And they said, that sounds crazy. Sounds too good to be true, but we're all in. And so for two years, I went with that team, and we ended up. Uh, finding a guy, actually one of the guys there led a guy named Willie to Christ. And Willie was a gang member, had a tragic story of um, his mom being shot and killed, his brother being shot and killed, gang violence, his father. Yeah, just, just a really, really difficult family situation. Willie says yes to Jesus. And it was clear that he he was all in for Christ. Uh, his, his one of his nicknames was known as became known as Reverend. They would call him Reverend because he had this life change that people started to see, and he was, you know, preaching the gospel in the in the youth prison. And you know, there was lots of ups and downs though with Willie. Uh, with every discipleship story, you want to share the highlights, but obviously there was times of serious trials and hardships that came. But uh, he was discipled for almost two years in this prison before he left. He was baptized in the prison by another youth uh, that was led to Christ. We saw about 24 youth baptized in this prison. We started a church called Wilder Church, and that was the name of the facility. And Willie was literally discipled within the context of a real church. We did Lord's Supper. We worshiped. We sang Amazing Grace 500 times. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really sweet church. I mean, it was one one of the sweetest churches I'll, I'll ever uh, ha- have remembered. And so he gets out, and uh, he got out about nine months ago, and we've been following up with him weekly, sometimes daily. He's had some up and down since he's got out, but today I can say he loves Jesus, is following Jesus. He actually came out here to California for three weeks for like a mini internship just to do some job training skills and uh, just work on some other uh, things in his life. And he is planning on moving back out here to California to join the church network out here because there's there's just not a uh, a good family um, situation or environment for him back in this small town that's gang infested in Tennessee. And so long story short, uh, there's plans for him to come and move out here. I think missions... When you talk about Ephesus, when you talk about Jesus, everything on this podcast, missions is the same thing there as it is there. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And us doing the one another's with one another. So the same so the same thing mm-hmm. in the Carolinas, Roger, the same things with Doug and his bride from their home, Tampa, San Francisco. And so that dynamic of those emerging hubs with one another everywhere with everyone. I know that um, from Houston, Trey Nine came out, did some stuff with Brett. I think I'm not sure that you were there, but with Dory at the same time. 
So one of the other things that I'm fond of talking about are the seven things that I've learned now and going on nine years is we have to connect, we have to communicate, we have to collaborate, freely receive, freely give, love one another. By this, y'all men know that we're his disciples and that we have love for another, relational, not organizational. So I just want to say thanks for like hearing, obeying, and spreading that because Mm. our teacher is the Holy Spirit. And to quote Ying Kai, we trust the Holy Spirit. And so Mm. um, I see and hear you and your household doing that and your willingness to spend and be spent for Jesus brings me great joy, bro. Yeah, that's right. So I think it's really cool is like that, the, the story you just told about Willie. We have a guy that's been in prison since he was 18 to 31. He's been out of prison for 14 months. More is caught than is taught, and he's living in community with us now in a ministry apartment in Tampa. But if you hear the stuff that that Zach's talking about, I was in prison, and you visited me. Mm. (laughs) And he did the same stuff in prison, man. And so I guess my last question is, is what I see like with apostolic people where they have that apostolic itch, and we're bouncing all around, man, and we don't see this stuff emerging. And so I think sometimes in DMM, CPM, community transformation, holistic Matthew 25 stuff gets lost because we bounce around so much and we don't see things emerge. Like what Roger said, wow, thanks for being a great model, Zach. What would you say to our DMM, CPM brothers and sisters that understand stuff intellectually, great trainers, okay, but we need the Memphis's. We need the San Francisco's. We need the Tampa's. We need the Houston's, okay, so that we see both Matthew 28, fields one and two, but we need to see something more substantive than just circles or triangles on gen maps, man, that are owning the core missionary tasks that are salt and light. How would you respond to that, and what would you say to our apostolic, prophetic brothers and sisters that are the foundation but don't stick around long enough to connect with the shepherds and teachers and see something emerge, bro. Yeah. Mm, let's see. There's a lot in there. What you just shared, Lee. Uh, yeah, and try and to keep that, that to a short I, I def- answer too. <laughs> but, yeah. I would, I would say, uh, man, you know, one, one of the metrics I had internally was there was tears shed in Miletus when Paul was leaving uh, and, and spoke with the Ephesian elders and, if someone didn't cry when I was leaving, then I had probably missed on relationships. <laughs> That's great. And so there was a few tears shed when I left Memphis, but there was more tears when Paul left because they were literally saying, you're about to go get killed in Jerusalem. So I think there have been some more tears shed if I said, hey, guys, I'm going to San Francisco. And by the way, I'm going to be killed. Uh, uh, you're not going to see me ever again. So that's not the case. I'm still flying back to Memphis and uh, to strengthen and encourage the, the work. Yeah. But re- relationship, man, is so huge. Uh, it's I can't I can't preach that enough, Lee. I see you preaching that. See a lot of folks just trying to talk about relationship, proceed strategy. That's huge. And so we we really want to have strong relationships with elders because apostles are models to elders. I mean, Paul shows that that he was a mother, a father to them, and he loved them and shepherded and cared for them, and they were to do the same locally in their churches. 
And so a lot of this work for me has been tremendously pastoral and shepherdly to practice those those giftings. So I think that connection is really important for apostles to be intimately relationally involved in elders' lives and and living out the example they you know want to see for elders. So that's what comes to mind to answer your question. Is that what you're? Yeah, part of it, bro, is you actually you actually have to have leaders that are going to stay. You have to have something substantive that's actually there before you bounce, man. And so that's what I see is people bouncing a lot. And mad respect that Roger saw that, that I see that, and we have that in common with one another. And we're a better model together of that from city to city, bro. So honor to co-labor. And again, thank you for your um, willingness to spend and be yeah. spent for Jesus and doing that with your bride from your home as image bearers. That's about the time that we have today. And I will say this was just a joy. I loved uh, just your heart for Jesus and wanting to give him glory. And, you know, just so encouraging to hear, uh, always hear uh, fellow practitioners just go to the word and really, really be able to explain just even the mission from the word and just what you're saying with Paul and, and Miletus and, and just hearing what God was doing in, in Memphis. And I was actually pumped when you were talking about San Francisco. I was like, I got to move there. I mean, why am I, why am I where I'm at? It's not even strategic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep faithful where I'm at. Raleigh Durham, whoever wants to move here too. <laughs> um, but anyways, thank you so much, Zach, uh, for Thanks, being on the podcast today. Yeah, I love you guys. I you. Really do. How are you making more disciples? What problems have you encountered? What successes have you celebrated? What questions do you have? Share your stories with us by visiting moredisciples.com slash contact. If you're looking for next steps on growing your ability to make and multiply disciples, visit moredisciples.com to find resources, tools, and events all designed to help you make more disciples.